0: Yeah, well, you know what? One thing that nobody can say to me after today is that I don't support student ministry, okay? (laughs) That water was cold. I spent the entire service in the back holding a hot cup of coffee trying to warm up, okay? Support student ministry. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we're going to continue in a series uh, that we've been in since the beginning of the year. We're slowly, verse by verse, walking through the book of Ephesians. And if you uh, don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you in a couple ways. One, uh, bring one. We're glad to buy you one if you want a good Bible. Uh, You can also take the one that's in the seat back that's in front of you. There should be one under the seat there in front of you. You can have that one. Uh, The text will appear as a reference on the screen uh, because I want to encourage you to open up uh, the Bible with us today. And so we'll be in Ephesians 2. While you are getting there, I want to give you one more update. There's been a lot of information in the service today, lots going on in the life of our church. One more thing. We have a very big outreach that takes place in the summer. Uh, It's like a discipleship outreach program for young people that we call VBS, Vacation Bible School. Over 400 kids, 150 volunteers, five days uh, during the first week, full week in June. And uh, we're really excited for it. Many of you have signed up, and we're grateful for that. You're signed up to volunteer, and and I want to say thank you for that. Registration for young people is about to open it's going to open in a unique way, so I want you to hear me. If you're a part of our church, if you, if you need to give us your email address after you hear this, just fill out a Connect card, um, but an email is going to be sent out this week that's going to give you a private link for New Hope families to register for VBS, and we don't want you to pass that link to a bunch of different people. Uh, it's an honor system thing. We want to give our church family just a little bit of a runway before we open it to the public, because once it opens to the public, it's going to fill up really quick. And so be looking for that email. Don't delay when that email comes and you see the link and you want to register your kids or your grandkids. I want to encourage you to get registered quickly for that because uh, once it fills up, we do have capacity and we're going to be limited that way. And so uh, look for that email this week. Let's pray and we'll jump in this morning. Father, thank you just for the church. Thank you for your, the, the family that you've given to us. And as we celebrate that today in so many different ways, my prayer is that gratitude would well up in our hearts. Would you remind us yet again from your word the, the incredible gift that you've given us through the sacrifice of Jesus in our church family? We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was at the dentist office this week, and while I was waiting for my appointment in the waiting area... There was an elderly woman uh, that was waiting for her ride to pick her up after her appointment had ended. And so she struck up a conversation with me. Usually uh, the preacher goes first, she beat me to the punch. Uh, And so we started talking and she made a comment. She said, uh, there's so much going on in our world today. So much chaos. So much of it is tied to, and she grabbed her smartphone. So this phone, is just so many things going on. And then she asked me this question, She said it just like this, are you old enough, young man, (laughs) to remember when the world was a little simpler, not so chaotic? Her ride got there before we could continue the conversation, and, and I walked her out and she left, and I've been sitting on that question ever since. While I am on the younger side, I do vividly remember growing up in a world that was far less chaotic than the one I'm raising my children in. It's different. Just consider the last three years. The political polarization of our country. As people, you know, and we don't comment on this all the time, but as I've watched people actually put their identity, their view of who they are as a human being into their political views and then display very real, very deep hatred toward other people for disagreeing with those views because they've rooted who they are in it. Now, please hear me. This is both sides. So if you were thinking, yeah, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) A global pandemic that instead of creating compassion for one another has yet given us another reason to celebrate division and display hatred. The uptick in violence coming out of that pandemic. I've got family members that are police officers, and they've, they've said in their whole career, they are astonished at how much violence, physical violence, has taken place in recent years. The increase in pornography usage. Statistically, last year, almost 40%, hear this, almost 40% of Everything downloaded on the internet was pornographic in nature. 40% of everything downloaded on the internet. The increase in job loss and the subsequent loss of hope that's come from that is people feel whether or not they have to, but they feel this pressure to make decisions that just feel like they're life and death. The rise in the annual U.S., just in the U.S., suicide rate is up to 13.5 suicides per 100,000 people. It's unbelievable. I mean, look, we've got different experiences in a room like this. We come from different places, we grew up in different places, and yet we're all here in the room together right now, and we might have disagreements on a lot of different things, but the one thing I think we would find some agreement on is that the world that we are currently living in, even if we are old enough to remember a time where it wasn't like this, the world that we are living in would not necessarily be described as peaceful. Chaos? Maybe. Painful? Yeah. Divided? Yes. And we felt it. Like you felt it, you you can feel this personally in your life. You feel it in the tension in the relationships that you have. As you you know, certain things I can talk about, certain things I cannot. Things I used to be able to talk about with certain people, I can't talk about them anymore because of the tension that rises up and the anger that is displayed. You you feel it in your personal relationships, in your marriages, in raising kids. We feel it with our, our workplace, our coworkers. We feel this division. We feel this lack of peace, and we try to create it in a hundred different ways. And we'll talk about that later. But we would agree this is not a time of peace that we're currently living in. Trying to make decisions about how best to follow Jesus. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but uh, here recently the, the NASA astronaut uh, who caught a ride back to Earth from the space station with Russia with a Russian space capsule, which is an interesting thing considering. He was aboard for a U.S. record 355 days. Mark Vandehe and his two Russian cosmonaut colleagues touched down uh, just last week. They touched down uh, to the Earth after having launched uh, a year ago, and it looks a whole lot different landing on the Earth than it did when they took off, does it not? I mean, when they took off, Russia and the U.S., wasn't looking the way it looks now. And when they landed, it would be understandable that things would be pretty tense. In fact, in fact if you know much about uh, kind of the history of returning from the space station and, and, and returning home from space, there's oftentimes tension based on where you land and what's going on politically. And so you would think like this time it would probably be even more tense right? But when they left, Russia had not invaded the Ukraine, and Russian and U.S. relations were not at loggerheads ready to, you know, all this tension that's building up. When they left, the world looked different than the one that they returned to, and so when they returned to it, you would expect some tension, and that's not what happened. It's fascinating when you, when you watch this. You can go back and look at it, but I found it fascinating, the perspective that Mark Vandy had. When asked about the tension that exists between U.S. and, and Russian Uh, politics right now his response was this he said people have problems on earth but in orbit we are one crew i love that here's a picture of them it's a great perspective down here on earth there's relational tension wars are fought anger wins the day rage spins out of control among people all over the planet but when we are up there there's unity, there's peace. Hold that thought. Our passage today is going to challenge us that way, but I want to emphasize it and lighten the mood just a little bit. There's a well-known story, you may have heard it, of a man who uh, needed to make money and uh, had no real skill set, except he had access to ownership of an elephant. And so as he thought through his options about what to do to make some income for his family, he decided he was going to take this elephant and travel in the U.S. and issue a challenge to anybody who wanted to take him up on this challenge. Anybody who's up for taking me up on this challenge, if you can get my elephant to do one of two things, I'll give you $100. It costs you $100 to participate, and if you win, you get $100 in return on top of getting your money back. If you can get my elephant to do one of two things, either get my elephant to jump, or to shake his head on command, if you can do either one of those things. In the back of his mind, he's thinking you can't get an elephant to do either one of those two things. I mean, if you've been to the circus, you know elephants don't jump on command, and they definitely don't respond to head movements on command. And so this is what he does. He launches out, and he goes all over the U.S., and he's making all kinds of money from his challenge. People are just lining up, and they're trying to get this elephant to jump, trying to get the elephant to nod its head yes or nod its head no, anything that they can do, and nobody's able to do it. He gets to a little town in southern Ohio, and he's going through the challenge when all of a sudden a gentleman steps up, and this guy's dressed really nice, three-piece suit. He's got a briefcase, and he says, I'd like to take a shot. I'd like to have a chance at getting the elephant to do one of these. He's like, step right up, man. Let's see what you got, and so this man dressed in his suit comes with this briefcase, and he opens up the briefcase, and he pulls out a two-and-a-half-inch roofing nail and a slingshot, and he walks up to the elephant. And he goes to the Backside of the elephant, he loads up that nail and he fires it right into the backside of that elephant, and he sure got the result he was hoping for. Is that elephant jumped in the air and actually collided with the trainer? And now the trainer is just injured and has to get rushed to the hospital. Five years later, it took him to recover from this, and after five years, he's back on his feet. And he's realizing I don't have a way to make money. I need to do this again. And what are the odds I'm ever going to see that crazy dude again? I'm just gonna take my elephant back on the road. And so that's what he does. He takes his elephant and they go back on the road, town after town, and he's making money, he's making money, making money. He finds his way to a city in northern, a little town in northern Ohio this time, not southern Ohio, and up in northern Ohio, he's thinking, I'm gonna make money. All of a sudden, he's making money, and he sees a familiar face come out of the crowd, and he thinks, oh, no. Sure enough, three-piece suit, briefcase, the guy steps up, says, I'd like to have my try at getting your elephant to jump or shake its head. Oh man, that's fine. All right, take your turn. And he backs up, way out of the way this time. Completely clears himself. And the guy steps up. He opens up the briefcase. He pulls out a two and a half inch roofing nail slingshot and he walks up. And instead of going to the back of the elephant, he goes to the front of the elephant. The elephant's just staring at him, locked into him. And he holds up the nail and he says, do you remember this? And the elephant goes, yep. (laughs) And you want me to do it again? He goes, nope. And the guy got his hundred bucks and left. Now, preacher's jokes, okay? Here's here's the thing, though. What's true of the story, an actual truth that comes out of the story is this. There's something about elephants we all know to be true. They never forget. They never forget. And as we study Ephesians chapter 2, as we look at these four verses that we're going to look at, we're going to see the same thing. It's something that the apostle Paul says, "I want you, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how chaotic the world around you get, no matter how many wars start, no matter how much tension there is in your home, no matter how much frustration there is at work, I want you in the midst of all of that to never forget this truth." And he lays it out for us beginning in verse 14. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Paul continuing his explanation, of the depth of what Jesus did for us, says this in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So right away, the Apostle Paul, in this passage, continues what he was saying in the previous verses about the importance of the sacrifice of Jesus, what it does for us. And he emphasizes very clearly what he wants us to never forget. If you're studying this in the language that it was written in, you would notice if you're, in, if you're in Ephesus, if you're sitting in this church and this letter is being read out loud to you, the language, the choice of words that the Apostle Paul uses right away would have stood out to you. It's got uh, an intensity to it. He says, for he himself is our peace. What he is saying is there is no other source of peace that you can find. That that It all pairs in comparison to the peace that we find in Jesus. You can find no other source of peace like the peace that you can find in Christ. See, there's these dividing walls of hostility, that's how he describes it in this passage, that exist between one another, us, and between us and God. And what Paul is saying is this, the tearing down of that wall that has created divisions among people and divisions between us and God, the tearing down of that wall, the peace that came in its place was made possible only because of what Jesus did for us. And that's throughout your Bible. Look at how the Bible describes Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Nobody else can offer us that peace. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that it was his suffering that bought us peace. It's his suffering that paid the price. Nothing else could pay the price that would get us peace, and it had to be Jesus. Micah chapter 5 verses 4 and 5 says that the Messiah's flock, his people, meaning the church, will dwell securely. I love the way that's described. We will live with security in the midst of a world that does not feel secure because he will be our peace. That's what it says. Because he's the source of peace, nothing can shake the security that his peace offers us. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter describes it this way. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Meaning the peace that he offers to us good news in the midst of a world filled with a lot of bad news constantly looking and the thing that he would say to us just like the elephant like, "Hey, don't ever forget this because everything around you is going to try to get you to forget it to get your mind off of it to distract you you have a real enemy and he uses a lot of different resources to get you to stop thinking about the peace that's been made available to you in christ So this piece, it's twofold that he's talking about. The context allows for two different things here. First is it's individual. And we've talked about that for the last few weeks. And so I would encourage you, you can go back and watch the sermons. But even more important than that, you can read the first two chapters of Ephesians. And you'll see that this piece that's been made available is made available at an individual basis. Here's what I mean by that is there is a division between you and God made by your sin there's a wall that was built brick by brick by your sins that divided you and God. God is holy and you are not. And so God cannot interact with that which is not holy. And so you are separated from him. But because of Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility between you and God has been torn down. You now have a relationship with him. So no matter what's going on in in your world, no matter what, no matter how much tension and frustration that you're up against, no matter how many difficult life situations that you have to navigate through, no matter how much war and famine is going on in the world around you, in the midst of it all, you can stand secure with peace. It's been made available to you. Here's what's fascinating too. Because of that, you can not only be a taker, meaning you accept the peace that God has given to you, you are now called to be a peacemaker. You now offer that peace to other people. Why? Because they will see that in the midst of everything spinning out of control, you're standing secure. If you've ever walked with anybody who is very intimately connected to Jesus through tragedy, and you watch as everything around them is unfolding and falling apart, and yet they seem to be standing secure, there's a peace, as Paul describes it, that goes beyond our understanding. I don't understand how you can be experiencing peace in the midst of everything that you're walking through right now. And what Paul's saying here is that dividing wall of hostility that kept us from accessing that peace has been removed. You now, if you are a Christian, have access to a peace that to the world, according to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, seems foolish, doesn't seem possible. And yet to those who are being saved, it's the power of God in your life. You have the ability to have peace and to make peace because of Jesus. But secondly, in our text, we see that it's not just an individual blessing that's been given to us in the form of peace. It's corporate, if you will, or communal. It's about this family that God creates by offering peace to all of us as a church family. And this is what he said. Look at what he says in verse 15. He does this by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Here's what that means. It doesn't mean that he's done away with all the commands as though they don't matter anymore. It means he fulfilled them. He fulfilled the requirement of the law. So now you who are in Christ no longer need to fulfill the law to be in right standing with God. That's been taken care of. Now we obey the commands of the Bible and we we seek to obey these commands out of a response to what's been done for us. Not so that we can earn it. So a big difference there. He says that his purpose in doing this was to create in himself one new man out of the two or one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So there's these two groups that have been divided. And in one body to reconcile both of these groups to God through the cross, the only way that this could be paid for, by which he put to death the hostility that existed between these two groups. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near as well. So if you know your Bible, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that there was these two groups in the New Testament that experienced great hostility between one another. And it was a hatred. The Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews throughout your, the scriptures will be described as God's people. They were set aside for God's purposes. Doesn't mean that God loved, didn't love other people because he gave other people the ability to join this group of people that were set aside to show the world what it looks like to be God's people. And so here they are. They're set aside. This is them. And then the Gentiles, those who are far away from God. And until Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles, they, they did not have access to this message. But what Paul is saying here is this division that existed between these two, the Jews and the Gentiles, did not get along. They hated each other, and they displayed that hatred, both in thought, the way they talked about each other, the way they treated one another. I mean, think about it. I can't think of any kind of a culture in the world that would experience division like that. Can you? Right? They did not get along. Not only that, there was this invisible kind of hatred between one another, meaning you didn't see it, you felt it. Words, you don't see words, but you, you hear them. And they, all this hatred that existed relationally between them, there was actually a physical wall that they built in the temple. They kept the Gentiles away from the Jews. And so you'd come into the temple and there was this part of the temple known as the court of the Gentiles. They'd have access to it. Then there was this dividing wall that prevented the Gentiles from going and being a part of what the Jews were only allowed to be a part of. Again, a physical wall that was built to divide these two groups of people. And there was a sign on that wall. Two different archaeological finds, all right. so unearthing, has found examples of this sign that essentially said, to the Gentile who crosses past this wall, your death is on your hands. It doesn't scream peace to me. <laughs> like if you go past this, it's not our fault what we do to you. You are not welcome here. Hostility. And Paul says Jesus comes and he tears down that wall. The physical wall, sure. But that invisible wall of hatred that existed between people. That wall that helps us to celebrate our differences to the point where they become divisions. Where we look at other people because they look different. Because they think different. Because they behave different. All of a sudden, there's hatred that is born from that because of our sin. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus came to eliminate that. Those who are in Christ are connected to one another. He says, how does he do that? Well, he uses here in these verses, he says, he, he came to create in himself. That's the Greek, Greek word ketizo. And here's why I tell you that. It's, it's, he want to create something. It's not that he's just taking something and fixing it. He's actually creating a whole new thing that did not exist before. It's the same word used in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul writes about how God created the universe. It didn't exist And then it did exist. Something that wasn't there is now there. And Paul's saying here, when he eliminates the wall of hostility, what he's doing is he's saying, this wasn't there before, but because of Jesus, now there's a whole new, and he uses this word, anthropos, this whole new humanity. Your translation might say, he took the two and made one new man. Well, that's not the greatest. I don't think it's it's one new humanity. Why? Because it's this entire group of people. God created a new group of people that could be connected to one another without hostility in Christ. That's what he's invited us to be a part of. And think about it, the beauty of this. Only in the church can people who look so different find themselves bonded in a way that you, you, can't, you almost can't explain it. Right? Have you experienced that in your time in church? Like I'm in church and it's like, hey, if we weren't here, we probably wouldn't hang out. <laughs> like we're not alike. We don't think alike. We don't do the same things. And many times some of the deepest connections I've had is like I don't even speak the same language. And yet there's this connection that I have with these people in Christ. There's this, what would normally be something that would divide us has been eliminated. And now we have this connection that's stronger than any division that we could have had. And that's only made possible because of Jesus. Two people that normally have nothing in common. Now, I hesitated to share this next part that I wrote in here last night, okay? But I'm gonna share it. I wrote this part last night because I don't think the person who I was hesitating for is here today, though he may watch online, in which case, I love you. There is no dividing wall between us, my friend. I wrote this In Christ, people who are not alike, who would otherwise be divided, are brought together. Like a friend of mine here today who cheered really, really hard for Duke last night. Being a North Carolina fan, I'm like a Gentile to him, (laughs) but because of Jesus, we who are enemies can be brought together to experience peace, at least a couple days from now, maybe. (laughs) See, for me, this connection, there's a metaphor that's helped me. I'm going to grab, I'm not leaving, I'm just grabbing something here. There's a metaphor that's helped me understand what Christ has done for us. I want you to think about the difference between and the similarities between these two objects. We've got a bag of marbles here and a cluster of grapes. Think about how these are different. Bag of marbles is, and a cluster of grapes are, sorry. I just ruined it. There is a dividing wall in technology. There's a hum now, isn't there? Oh, that's awesome. How do we do away with that? Handheld? Who's got the handheld? That's fun. I deserved it for the joke. <laughs> so you think about a bag of marbles and a cluster of grapes. Individual pieces, not connected to one, uh, not connected really here in this bag of marbles. They're just kind of banging around one another, and you're hoping that they stay united by the bag. But if you know one piece slips out, may not go noticed. Like it's not, it's not a big deal. To lose pieces because why? You're not really connected, and so you don't really feel it when one is lost and one is disconnected. And you might start out at one part of the bag and then you move to the other part of the bag, and you don't, you're not really around the same people. And so, when pieces just, there's this unity that we're hoping for because we've created a bag to hold one, all, all of us together, but it doesn't always work. And you think about a cluster of grapes connected to one another. And while you are on one side, you may not get connected to the other side. And yet there's this same life-giving force that is connecting every one of the grapes, holding it together. See, this is what we see in church. You see this same thing. You notice in the bag of grapes, the ones that can actually make it work, stay together, the ones that, you know, for whatever reason, could be all kinds of things, they fall out and it doesn't matter. But you notice with the cluster of grapes you might not be connected to the one over here, but you're still connected to them. You might actually just get close to the ones that are right next to you, but you're still connected to the ones that aren't quite as close to you all around the world. And you think about this, one grape goes bad, it's not just bad for them, it's bad for all the grapes that are around them. And so when you think about the church, you think about this, as I'm connected to the church body, if one grape goes bad next to the ones around it, you cannot suffer alone when you're connected to the vine. The other thing I noticed about this as I was thinking about it is this. There's no one grape that's superior to the others. They're all equally connected to the vine. They're all dependent upon the vine. And so whether you serve in the church on a stage or you serve in the church cleaning up from a dunk tank out in the lobby, we're all equally connected together. Nobody's better than anybody else because every single grape depends on the vine for life. Here's what I would contend Based on our text today, I would contend that every single attempt for us to create peace that does not include the vine of Jesus is simply putting marbles in a bag and hoping that no hole forms so nothing slips out. Not bad in and of itself, but definitely not sustainable because all it takes is some movement little whole forms and people are no longer connected. So whatever it is that we put our attention to, social programs, they're good and they can be used to bring people together. But apart from Jesus, they're just marbles in a bag. Politics. Politics is important. It's worth our time and attention to think critically about these things but if they are apart from Jesus, if we're thinking about them apart from being connected to the body of Christ, it's just marbles in a bag that we hold hopes. We hope holds together. We just hope, man, hold together. I'm going to put everything I got into this bag and then a holds formed. And people lose touch. Self-help, counseling, other types of unifying efforts, they're not bad things. But divorced from Jesus, they are not going to bring peace. They can't be sustained. All it takes is a hole. And all of a sudden, people aren't connected. Real peace, the type of peace that connects us to one another, the type of peace that destroys the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, and at the same time, destroys the dividing wall of hostility between us and one another, came with a price. It cost something. And so it only makes sense that it would be the one who was able to pay the price that could provide the peace. And that wasn't you. and That wasn't me. We could not pay the price for what it took to provide peace. Only Jesus can do that. So only he can be the one to provide that peace. So I don't know what your next step is. I don't know where you're at when it comes to relating to the church. But I do know this. Yes, broken. We have pieces that are broken. We have pieces that are hurting. But in Christ, all dependent upon Jesus and connected to one another. So taking your next step to get connected into the life of the church, that's your call. Trying to find peace apart from it? I don't think you can do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I, I just, I am so blown away by the church. I love it. The, the, not just the energy, but the connectedness of people who are normally so different and yet brought together beautifully to be one family has changed my life. I can't even put into words the difference it's been in my life to be connected to people in the church. God, thank you for the, those that I don't even live near anymore that are texting on, on Saturdays encouragement for our church family. Feeling connected to one another. God, we thank you. God, I pray for those who have not experienced that connection, that there are some divided walls of hostility between them and others. I pray, Father, they would allow you to break that down, that we would stop putting all of our energy into the things that are manifested in our own power, but would just submit and allow you to break down those barriers and allow us to experience real unity. Thank you for that. And thank you that this type of peace costs something and that you are willing to pay it. We give our thanks in Jesus' name.